My name is Tyler Ruane. I'm a second grade teacher at Hanson Elementary in Cedar Falls, and this is just the second time I've been up front on a Sunday morning here on the Cedar Falls campus. The last time was all the way a year ago. I was part of the Stories from the Seats series, and I was down in the sanctuary, um, and it was the first time my two oldest boys would get to see their dad up front on a Sunday morning. They thought it was super cool. Um, we got through the service, um, and I sat down. Uh, next to my oldest son Landon afterwards, and I was kind of looking for some feedback. He's usually very honest with me. I hear that uh, kids are always looking for things their parents can do better. Um, and so I sat down, and I said, what'd you think, Landon? He said, Dad, you did a really good job, but I think you could show more pictures of me. There was only one. <laughs> I think everyone would like to see a few more pictures of me. And so... I'm new to this teaching thing, and I don't want to be one of those teachers that doesn't apply feedback given to them. So I begin today's teaching with a photo montage of my kids. This first picture is a picture of Landon. He's on the motorcycle. Dawson is not in the background. There was a huge fight. They wanted a picture of Landon on the motorcycle, a picture of Dawson on the motorcycle, but somehow Dawson has mastered the art of the photobomb already and snuck right in there behind um, this next picture says their personalities perfectly. <laughs> Dawson is in the front. He spends most of his life really grumpy because he can't do the things that his older brother can do. And then Landon spends his life feeling pretty cool because he can do a lot of things that his younger brother can't. It's not all rainbows and sunshine for Landon, though. He does have some dark moments. This next picture shows one of his darkest. Um, that was a Mother's Day lawn ornament that he got his mother. And three months later, he had decapitated it on an accident. Um, it was a very, very sad day in our house, and I think he still may have nightmares about it. Speaking of nightmares, here's a picture that you won't be able to get out of your head. This is Dawson. Um, we always got to get the face paint at the carnivals and everything. We love it. This is, to date, the best face paint job we have ever gotten. And we're really happy we got this picture because two minutes after we took this picture, he cried because he was grumpy about something and it was completely ruined. <sighs> this next picture will be at Landon's graduation open house someday. Yeah. I sat down with Landon again on this picture. I said, what's going on in this picture, bud? Help me understand. And he goes, Dad, don't you remember? She only painted half of my face. So he doesn't even notice the rap dance move that's happening there. That's just apparently the norm in our house. And I don't know how that got started. And I don't want to get in trouble. We do have a new addition that's about a month old, and we don't have a ton of pictures, but here's a picture of our third boy, Ashton, who was born April 17th. Um, he's got those two brothers, just love him. And he was actually the last one to hear this teaching last night. I practiced with him, and he cried through most of it. So you guys are already doing way better than he did. So there's my photo montage. I can't wait to get my feedback afterwards from my oldest son, Landon. I would imagine something like maybe 100 pictures next time or something like that. So um, I originally prepared this teaching for our high school ministry program, which is called Big House. Um, the series which this teaching was part of was titled, Who Do You Say I Am? The Big House staff chose this series because society tells us all these different things that Jesus is. And this morning, we're going to look at part of his life here on earth to find out just who he really is. The idea that I want to dive into this morning is that God is never surprised and we cannot ever disappoint him. I know this sounds like kind of a radical idea or a controversial idea, 
But I believe one of the things Jesus shows us about God is that he is never surprised. As we get started with this idea, we are going to look back at a story that involves Jesus and a man named Peter. Peter was one of Jesus' disciples. In fact, he was the leader of the disciples. If you think of Jesus' disciples as the New England Patriots, Peter was Tom Brady. And I know some of you are starting to think that I'm saying the New England Patriots are Jesus' team, especially after their miraculous Super Bowl comeback this year. I assure you, Jesus does not have a favorite NFL team. And if he did, it would obviously be the Green Bay Packers. (laughs) Sorry, Bears fans. Gotta be the Packers. Um, So Peter was the captain of the disciples. He was a fisherman who was a little on the aggressive side of things. He often seemed to enjoy conflict, almost welcoming it. I think everyone kind of has that person in their life who speaks before they think. And uh, Peter was that person. So this brash and aggressive fisherman was right there with Jesus through some pretty amazing times. He was the one who asked about the reward for all of those who follow Jesus. Thank you, Peter. He was there to see Jesus bring a girl back to life. It was Peter who had so much respect and love for Jesus that when they were getting ready to crucify Peter at the end of his life, he asked that he be crucified upside down because he was not worthy enough to die the way Jesus did. Holy cow. I mean, how many of us in this room are going to request for our death to be even more excruciating? And it was all to honor his friend Jesus. Peter was one special dude. However, when people talk about Peter... They aren't talking about him asking to be crucified upside down most times. That's just not the greatest small group opener. It's kind of like, hi, my name is Tyler. I'm glad you're all here tonight. How many of you would feel worthy enough to be crucified right side up? Uh, Cole, was that a hand there? No, not many small groups start that way. Most people, when talking about Peter, talk about a story that starts in Mark 14, 26. This story takes place right after the Last Supper. It says... And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. And Jesus said to them, You will all fall away, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter said to him, Even though they all fall away, I will not. And Jesus said to him, Truly, I tell you, this very night, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. But he said emphatically, If I must die with you, I will not deny you. And they all said the same. Now, I mentioned earlier that Peter was a little on the aggressive side and speaks before he thinks, but wow, this group of disciples have been through a lot. I mean, this is like your group of friends that have been together since high school, went through college, and are now trying to figure out adulthood together. It's that group of friends that you went on that college road trip that you still have not told your kids about. (laughs) This was a group of guys that you don't turn your back on. And just when Jesus says the whole group is about to royally screw up, Peter stands up and says, I don't know about these bums, but there's no way I'm falling away from you. No way. And now it brings me back to my life a little bit. I learned pretty early in my relationship with my wife, Megan, that I shouldn't argue with her. I still do sometimes because I'm just not a smart person. (laughs) But I've learned that she is right about 98% of the time. I got the statistics to back it up. And she is just smarter than I am in science. And Jesus is right... Oh, about 100% of the time. And here Peter decides to argue with him. Not a good decision on Peter's part. Jesus doesn't just ignore Peter rebuking him. He raises the stakes a little bit. This is like when a parent of a young adolescent ground them after finding they snuck out to a friend's house after curfew. And then the adolescent kind of pushes back and says, you can't ground me, I'm my own person. 
And then the parents take away the adolescent's phone, go downstairs, ask the youngest of the family to help post a bunch of selfies to their Snap story and completely ruin their Snapchat rep. It ends bad for the adolescent, and in the end, Peter pushed back and it ended badly for him, because this was yet another bad idea on his part. He would forever be pinned with being the guy who denied Jesus three times right before his death. I mentioned at the start here tonight that God is never surprised. With all that I have told you about Peter, leader of the disciples, see miracles firsthand, Jesus' right-hand man, he is the last person that would deny knowing Jesus just once, let alone three times. The odds in Vegas of Peter denying Jesus would be one in a trillion, probably. It's like saying that Tom Brady, Patriots quarterback, would be accused of cheating and would deny it over and over and over. <laughs> Wait a second. That's kind of a bad example. Let me switch genres there, all right? Um, it's about the same odds as making it through an Iowa summer without any crabgrass popping up in your yard. It is impossible. I spray, I fertilize, and I've got that lawn kitty corner to me that just looks perfect. It should be in a magazine. I don't know how they do it. It's just impossible. And Jesus doesn't just, uh, isn't surprised by it. He predicts Peter's denial. No one else in the room needs to hear any other examples to convince them that we cannot surprise Jesus. He just predicted one of the most shocking turn of events in the Bible. Point proven right there. However, there are some of us in the room who are out to prove everybody wrong. We are aware of how we perceive by other people, and we want so badly to shatter their perceptions. So we do things that shock other people, things that aren't in the norm, things that the rest of the crowd aren't doing. I can remember to when I was a junior in high school. Those of you who have teens in the room or have had teens as kids are already nodding your heads. Yes, high schoolers do like shock and awe. That is a fact. Um, and I had been the math king since my elementary years. If you heard my stories from the seats last year or if you watched the local news from 1996-2002, I was kind of a big deal. <laughs> you already know this. Um, anything involving numbers and calculations has just always come easy to me. Everyone in my life knew how fast I could do calculations, and I just couldn't resist showing off my God-given abilities at every mathematical opportunity. These were awesome moments for me. During my junior year, I was sitting in pre-calc A and realized if I wanted to continue to be the math king that everyone thought I was, I would have to actually put in some work. I would actually have to listen to what Mr. Borophil was saying up there and possibly do some work when I got home. No way! I was actually kind of tired of being the math king. The pressure and expectations were starting to become too much, and I felt like surprising some people. So I picked up these things called Sudoku puzzles and started doing those during math class instead of paying attention and doing work. I got really good at those puzzles, and boy, did I surprise some people. We got a letter to our house saying that I currently had a D in math, and I got to see my mom firsthand go through every emotion a human can possibly go through in a two-minute span. It was quite a sight that I kind of enjoyed for a few seconds and then became extremely terrified. It left me in loads of trouble. I surprised my parents, my teacher, my counselor. Mission accomplished, right? I didn't surprise God. I'm sure he saw this coming from 16 years away. I made this decision without a single thought about God. I wasn't a Christian at the time and hadn't even started exploring a faith of my own. And yet he used this moment to teach. He taught a non-Christian a valuable lesson about work ethic. I learned during this time that I was coming to a point in my life where stuff was not going to be handed to me anymore. I had not really developed an ounce of work ethic up until this point, and I knew 
I've learned in those coming years, especially in college, my work ethic would need to grow leaps and bounds if I was to have any type of success. Little did I know, he was preparing me to work at making a faith life of my own. Sometimes life is so crazy, I just forget that God uses those normal, everyday stuff to teach us things about him and our relationship with him. He's always working to help us get to know him better. Back to Peter. Last I talked about Peter, Jesus had predicted his denial. Let's relive Peter's moment of complete failure. It starts up in Mark chapter 14, verse 66, after Jesus had already been betrayed and arrested. It says, And as Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came, and seeing Peter warming himself, she looked at him and said, You were also with the Nazarene Jesus. But he denied it, saying, I neither know nor understand what you mean. And he went out into the gateway, and the rooster crowed. Now, it doesn't say this anywhere, but I like to think that Peter heard the rooster crow, and it brought him back to the night before, and he was out to prove Jesus wrong. But it continues to say, The servant girl saw him and began again to say to the bystanders, This man is one of them. Again, he denied it. And after a little while, the bystanders again said to Peter, Certainly you are one of them, for you are a Galilean. But he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know this man of whom you speak. And immediately the rooster crowed a second time. And Peter remembered how Jesus said to him, Before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And he broke down and wept. I don't know if I've ever felt as disappointed as Peter felt in that moment. He just denied his best friend, his Lord and Savior, right in front of him before he was about to be crucified. That has to be rock bottom. There's no coming back from that. I would expect him to just give up hope and call it quits. But this is how great Jesus is. Jesus actually prayed for this moment in Peter's life long before it ever happened. Check this out. Luke 22:31 says, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Jesus knew that Satan was going to go to work on Peter. And he prayed that his faith may not fail. Jesus was not surprised. He was not caught off guard by Peter's denial. He prayed for that moment that had never happened yet. That's crazy. Jesus also knows that Satan is going to go to work on all of us. And he's praying that our faith may not fail either. I really want to be sure you heard that. Jesus is praying for you and for me so that our faith won't fail in moments that have not even happened yet. Crazy. And watch what happens when God prays for you in those rock-bottom moments. Here is what Peter did when he heard that Jesus was missing from the tomb. John 20, verse 1 says, Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the stone. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one who Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. Good plan, let the other disciple get there first, since you were the one who denied him three times. But still, he was running to the tomb after what he did? I would have been doing my best Usain Bolt impression the opposite way. And if we fast forward, the story gets even better. In John 21, the story of Peter being restored um, says, Just as the day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore. And yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, Children, do you have any fish? They answered him, No, he said to them. 
Cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast it and now they were able to haul it in because the quantity of, quantity of fish. They were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, It is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, and threw himself into the sea. He threw himself in the sea and ended up swimming towards Jesus. Again, if I'm Peter, after what I just did, I'm in the sea and I'm holding my breath for as long as I can, hoping Jesus leaves me alone. Once the men reach the shore, Jesus tells them to bring some of the fish they caught to the fire, and they get to share a meal together. Now, once during this, not once during this meal does anyone ask Jesus who he was. They just knew it was him. And after the meal, Jesus pulls Peter aside and asked him if he loved him. Peter responded with, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Then Jesus told Peter, Feed his lambs. And he asked Peter a second time if he loved him. Peter responded the same, and Jesus told Peter, Tend his sheep. And then Jesus asked Peter a third time if he loved him. Peter responded with, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus told Peter, feed my sheep. Jesus asked Peter three times if he loved him. This had to take Peter back to his greatest failure of denying Jesus three times. Peter now knew that instead of being disappointed in him, Jesus wanted to restore him. It's why he ran towards him. It's amazing how God used this moment of all-time low disappointment in Peter's life to give him the strength to feed his lambs and tend his sheep. This is what Jesus asked of Peter on the beach after Peter threw himself into the sea. That's a pretty important task to give someone who denied even knowing you not too long ago. And the same is true for us. We cannot disappoint God. He uses disappointing moments where we feel like we can't sink any lower, and he builds us up. When I try to think about some of my most disappointing moments from my life, which is not a fun task, by the way, don't do Well, you can do it, but it's not very fun. There is one that stands out as one where I felt like a complete failure of a Christian. They say that your college years are often where you make those lifelong friends. I know I made some great friends in college who I still get to hang out with even in my adult years. I was even lucky enough to have a best guy friend in college. We would talk sports, we'd make delicious salsa, and we'd push each other in our faith. We spent two months going through the book of Ecclesiastes together, and to this day, that is my favorite book in the Bible. At some point in our young adult years, things started to unravel for my friend. Never fear, though. God had placed me in his life to be one of the many people who could walk beside him as he pushed through the, his struggles and come out a better man on the other side. I was going to hold him accountable and have the tough conversations with him that would strengthen him in those dark moments. After months and months of ups and downs, the downs eventually started to outweigh the ups for my friend. And I would love to say that I did the best I could to hold him accountable and push him to be better. But unfortunately, that wouldn't be true. When I told him that I would hold him accountable and help him live up to the standards of the Christian man we both wanted him to be, I had no idea how hard it would be to start those tough conversations. There were so many times where I saw he wasn't being that man that we talked about he could be, and I should have been the friend that he needed in those moments. But instead, I would make excuses and avoided the tough conversations that might have made a big difference for him. Our relationship came to an abrupt ending when I learned that he had packed up and moved to Des Moines, was getting a new phone number, and was starting over. There it was, rock bottom. 
God put me and others in his life to be the salt and light that he needed to hold him accountable. That's what I was going to do. This was not how it was supposed to end. Without a goodbye, no prayer, no last run through Ecclesiastes, without any closure, I put this all on me. I had failed him as a friend. That was the only explanation I could have for what happened. God doesn't mess up. God knew that I screwed up, and he knew that I let both him and my friend down. It took me a little while to figure this out, but the moment where I felt failure had created yet another opportunity for me to grow. After overanalyzing every single word I said and every action I made for the previous six months, I finally realized that my friend wasn't going to be saved by me. I'm a sinner who made mistakes and still makes lots of mistakes. I can't save anyone. My, old, my two oldest boys think I can, but they also think I'm Batman. <laughs> I, didn't allow my, I didn't follow my friend to Des Moines, but you know who did? Jesus did. He wants a relationship with each and every one of us. He wants us building our relationship with him, just like Peter and him did. He wants us diving into the word and prayer, learning more about the man who died for our sins. He wants us running towards Jesus, just like Peter did. God took this moment of disappointment to restore me. He gave me what I needed to be able to go out and try to be salt and light in others' lives again, even though those scars of my previous failure still linger to this day. He is the only one who can do that. It's just tough for me to wrap my head around what he can do. As I think about it all, the fact that God is never surprised or disappointed frees us up to run to him at any time and be restored. He helped me realize that each day in my life is filled with opportunities to be salt and light. As a second grade teacher, I get the, I get the opportunity to make an impact on 23 seven and, eight year, seven and eight year olds each school year. I get to work with 23 amazing families each year. I get the opportunity to work beside an unbelievable staff of educators who make me so proud to call Hanson Elementary my home. It doesn't matter how many opportunities I miss. He just keeps the opportunities coming. And I can't save anyone. He is the only one who can save. I think back on my moment of despair and disappointment. Those moments of deep disappointment are so, so tough. And as sinners, we're going to have a lot of them. We have to know that God is never surprised and never disappointed in us. Instead, he is faithful to use those moments to restore and build us up. It's a remarkable process that we can't do here as sinners on earth. However, we can help out. We can walk alongside others. We can look for the positive when someone thinks they will live in darkness forever. That's a big part of how his kingdom is built. So let's do some kingdom building and know that it's a process that needs to involve more than you, and it could take years, but it's so, so worth it. I'm going to end us in prayer here as Jeff and the band come up. Dear Jesus, I thank you so, so much for your son and what he did on the cross. And I thank you so, so much for never being surprised or disappointed in us. It gives us that freedom to trust you, to run towards you in those times where we just need someone, those deep, dark moments where we think we'll never see the light again. You are there for us. You're there for us to run to. And I thank you so much 
for all you do for us and how you pray for us in those moments before they even happen. Thank you so much. In your name, amen.